Let's talk a bit about understanding the biases in uh, passive investing. You've got the Chinese PMI numbers for September and also the opportunity offered in global listed property. So quite a bit to sink your teeth into there. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, let's start off with passive investing. And I think there's a lot of talk at the moment about uh, passive investing and about, um, you know, can you justify paying active management fees if a lot of the managers don't outperform the benchmark? And, um, you know, I think a lot of this talk comes about when you're going through an equity bull market, um, you know, which we have been going through globally, or when you're going through a very concentrated equity return environment where a handful of very large market capitalization stocks uh, are driving returns on a stock market. And that's exactly what's been happening on the local stock market with, uh, you know, the all share index or, uh, doing somewhere in the region of 11% this year, but NASPA is doing almost 60% this year. So almost the full return of the market was contributed by one stock and add in a couple of other Randhead stocks like Richmond and Bidcorp into the mix. Um, and you get more than the total return from the market from three Randhead industrials this year. So whenever you're in this sort of an environment, um, you know, you always get to the proponents of passive coming out and saying that uh, you can't justify active management fees and, you know, passive is the way to go and it's the most efficient way to allocate capital um, and to eke out returns for investors. Now, you know, some of the arguments that are used is that you're actually neutral if you go, if, if, if you buy a passive investment, you know, you're significantly reducing your risk because you're reducing your risk of underperforming a benchmark and over the long term that underperformance uh, risk is eradicated. Now, Sakina, if you look at how these uh, indices, which uh, passive investments ultimately track an index, and if you look at how these indices are constructed, it's basically done on a market capitalization basis. So basically, the largest company, very simplistically, the largest companies um, are the largest uh, weights within a, within a passive portfolio, and that's what we see on the JSE, right? That the the, um, the largest company, or the company with the largest uh, free of, uh, of, uh, market capitalization in terms of available to South African shareholders in our market is NASPERS, um, and it's the biggest weight in the index. So, you know, if you look at the shareholder-weighted index, the SWIX index, NASPERS is currently around 22% of that index. So, you know, when you buy passive investment, 22% of every, or 22 cents of every one rand you invest is going to buy um, NASPERS shares. Now, that's obviously a very concentrated portfolio that, that, that you're taking, and if you take a couple of the Randhead stocks, like I mentioned, if you add Richmond, Bidcorp, um, Naspers, and British American Tobacco, that's going to make up almost 40% of your portfolio, Sakina. So basically, four stocks are going to make up 40% of your portfolio, and that's essentially the risk that, that, that you're taking, that uh, you know, the Rand is going to continue to depreciate significantly, or that Naspers is going to continue to genera- generate phenomenal growth numbers out of $0.10, cents, um, you know, or, or, or that Bidcorp is going to continue to generate massive profits when operating um, in the UK, which is obviously facing Brexit challenges. We saw what happened with uh, famous brands yesterday and their business in the UK, uh, where, they've, uh, where they've sustained substantial losses in that gourmet burger business that they have there. Um, we know the challenges that Capco have been facing in the UK. So the bottom line here, Sakina, is that um, you know it's, it's, it's a bit of a myth that passive investing makes you neutral. You know, It actually makes you highly concentrated.
concentrated. And, uh, you know, I suppose people are to just ignore the risks because passive investing would have done well this year on the back of uh, basically Nasper's Bid Corp and Richmond doing very well. Um, and if you look at the scenario globally, Sakina, even if you look at the S&P 500, which is the, uh, the, the index which is most tracked in the world, and, uh, you know, it's the 500 largest companies within the U.S., even within that index, the top 10 stocks make up almost 20% of the index, and there's still another 490 stocks to go. Um, and in those top 10 stocks, you find, uh, you find five tech stocks, whether it's uh, Apple, Google, Microsoft, Facebook, Net, uh, 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 Amazon. Um, you know, the, the, these are all essentially tech shares and are being driven by the same theme in terms of uh, significant demand for tech. So, Sakina, um, within passive investing, you are actually taking quite a bit of biases, um, you know, whether it's tech in the U.S., whether it's Rand Edge in South Africa, um, you know, it can obviously form a part of an investor's portfolio, passive investing, and there is a place for it. But, uh, you know, allocating only to passive investing on the back of, well, my risk is reduced because I'm not going to underperform, um, you know, I think that's a bit of a naive strategy because you are, you are taking concentrated bets. Um, if you look at the Chinese PMI numbers, uh, Sakina, we saw uh, industrial PMI numbers and services PMI numbers actually declined to a two-year low out of China, um, the numbers that were released yesterday for September, the PMI numbers. Although still in contraction territory, very marginally above 50, uh, we saw particularly uh, services PMI numbers declined by almost two points, and that was predominantly driven by new orders from businesses declining. Now, that's obviously quite a big concern, Sakina, and uh, it was the private sector the measure of PMI, not the government sector measure of PMI. Uh, so the private sector number focuses on smaller companies, um, you know, and if the new order books are declining, Sakina, it's an indication that perhaps, um, you know, the measures taken by the People's Bank of China to clamp down on the shadow banking sector, to stabilize the financial sector and to prevent asset price bubbles, that may be working, but it does come at a price in terms of slowing economic growth, Sakina. So um, while the market doesn't seem too concerned for now and the global equity market rally continues, I think it's a factor to continue to watch for the future to ensure that China doesn't come in for a hard landing because that obviously has drastic consequences for the global economy, particularly commodity exporters like, um, like, like South Africa. And then uh, just a quick one on uh, the uh, global listed property and the opportunities on offer there, Nadir. Yeah, Sakina, I mean, it's been an asset class which has been phenomenally disappointing over the last 12 months or so. You know, I mean, if you look at it, excluding RAND strength, which has obviously hurt, uh, but if you look at just performance in absolute terms, um, the, the global equity market has done somewhere in the region of 20% global equities over the last one year, the MSCI World Index. Um, if you look at property, you know, that's been closer to to about 4% over, over a one-year basis. So obviously, your entry point is significant. Uh, cheaper than it is into the equity markets. And if we look at the fundamentals of the markets, uh, the global economy continues to move from strength to strength. Vacancy rates continue to come down. And listed, as a result, these listed property companies continue to generate uh, very sound earnings, you know, generating earnings growth in the region of 6 to 8%, which for a South African investor doesn't sound very attractive. But remember that global inflation is tracking at under 2%. So you're getting uh, somewhere in the region of about a 
five, 5.5%. Five uh, earnings growth spread over what inflation is. And if you look at that, it's, man it's managed to sustain itself into, um, you know, increasing uh, dividend payouts and above, every, and, and above inflation uh, dividend payouts. If you look at the yield of these stocks, they're trading at a significant uh, yield premium relative to the equivalent bond market with, uh, you know, the dividend yield somewhere in the region of around 5% and global bonds trading in the region of around 2%. Uh, so you're getting a big yield spread there. Uh, vacancy rates coming uh, coming down, and uh, you know the, the the value relative or the, the the price you're paying for the shares relative to the value of the underlying properties is somewhere in the region of on average a 10% discount globally. So if you look at all the stars aligning, you're getting a yield premium relative to the bond market. You're getting a growing yield because earnings are growing. You're getting vacancy rates coming down, and you're getting the properties at very very cheap prices relative to what they're worth compared to the global property market, which has been on a big rally. So, Sakina, we're certainly finding a lot of opportunity there, particularly in developed markets, uh, listed property or listed REIT exposure.